0: We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the January 23rd Monday January 23rd episode that'd be episode 145 of the faith comes from hearing podcast I am Wayne Floyd your host and uh, welcome to Monday morning I hope you had yourself a good weekend I hope you were in church Uh, definitely a definitely a necessity for all of us to be in church And so let's go ahead and get rolling with our reading plan. Um, Again, in the show notes, um, there's two different reading plans. The 2023 is the one we're reading through here. The other one is the McShane. I would definitely encourage you to use that in your own private reading. Uh, Definitely a good thing. You need to do both, not just listen to me, but you need to be doing your own reading. So please do that. Um, Also, there's a link in there for our Church's Give, Sin, Go campaign. Uh, we've started a give Sin go campaign. We are working. We're working against a pretty, uh, uh, a good sized mortgage. We're trying to get it paid off. We're trying to get it paid off as quickly as possible, so that we can move on to establishing um, a Christian, traditional education school. Um, So a place we can trust, a place we can trust for our kids and our grandkids to be educated in. So we're definitely trying to move along with that. So we would ask you to prayerfully consider giving. Um, We definitely use your prayers more than anything else, but we would definitely encourage you to prayerfully consider giving. Um, And whether you give or not, we would definitely ask you to pass on the link to to people in your life, friends, cohorts, coworkers, whatever. Um, Let them consider it. Obviously, they don't have to give. They can then pass it on themselves. Um, But we would definitely love as many people as possible to be exposed to this. Um, Obviously, the more people that look at it, the more people are likely to give, Um, the more people that that might choose to give. So um, we'd definitely love for y'all to do that. And we definitely always use your prayers as we pursue this endeavor. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our reading for the day. We're going to go ahead and open up this morning with the second day morning prayer, like we usually do on Monday mornings. It's called God over all. Let's pray. O God all-sufficient, thou hast made and uphold us all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion, thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally infinitely great and glorious art thou we are thy offspring and thy care thy hands have made and fashioned us thou hast watched over us with more than parental love more than maternal tenderness thou hast holden our soul in life and not suffered our feet to be moved thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness let us bless thee at all times and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities healed our diseases redeemed our lives from destruction crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies satisfied our mouths with good things renewed our youth like the eagles may thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things amen all right and now our morning devotion the text for it is psalm 89:19. i have exalted one chosen out of the people Why was Christ chosen out of the people? Speak, my heart, for heart thoughts are best. Was it not that he might be able to be our brother in the blessed tie of kindred blood? Oh, what a relationship there is between Christ and the believer. The believer can say, I have a brother in heaven. I may be poor, but I have a brother who is rich and is a king, and will he suffer me to want while he is on his throne? Oh, no, he loves me. He is my brother. Believer, wear this blessed thought like a necklace of diamonds around the neck of thy memory. Put it as a golden ring on the finger of recollection, and use it as the king's own seal, stamping the petitions of thy faith with confidence of success. He is a brother born for adversity. Treat him as such. Christ was also chosen out of the people that he might know our wants and sympathize with us. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. In all our sorrows we have his sympathy, temptation, pain, disappointment, weakness, weariness, poverty. He knows them all, for he has felt all. Remember this, Christian, and let it comfort thee. However difficult and painful thy road, it is marked by the footsteps of thy Savior. And even when thou reachest the dark valley of the shadow of death, and the deep waters of the swelling Jordan, thou wilt find his footprints there. In all places, whatsoever we... Whatsoever we go, he has been our forerunner. Each burden we have to carry, he has he once I'm sorry has once been laid on the shoulders of Emmanuel. His way was much rougher and darker than mine. Did Christ, my Lord, suffer, and shall I repine? Take courage, royal feet have left a blood red track upon the road and consecrated the thorny path forever. All right, so let's get into our reading. We're going to be starting Genesis 46 and 47, and then into Matthew uh, chapter 15. We have some verses there. We'll be reading Psalm 19, and then some verses from Proverbs 4. So Genesis 46, hear the word of the Lord. So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, And he said, Here I am, and he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I myself will also bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes with his hand. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, and their little ones, and their wives in the wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him and they took their livestock and their possessions, which they had accumulated in the land of Canaan, and they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his seed he brought with him to Egypt. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel, of Jacob and his sons, who were coming to Egypt. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, Hanak, and Palu, and Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, and Jamin, and Ohad, and Jachin, and Zohar, and Shaol, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, and Onan, and Shelah, and Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan, and the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, and Puva, and Ayob, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Zared and Elon and Jahleel; these are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob, and Padan Aram, with his daughter Dinah. All his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion and Haggai, Shuni and Esbon, Ari and Arodi and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imnah and Ishva and Ishvi and Bariah, and their sister Sarah, and the sons of Bariah heber and malkiel these are the sons of zilpah whom laban gave to his daughter leah and she bore to jacob these sixteen persons the sons of jacob's wife rachel joseph and benjamin now to joseph in the land of egypt were born manasseh and ephraim whose whom asenath the daughter of Potiphera, priest of on bore to him the sons of benjamin bella and becker and ashbel and gira and naaman Ehi and Rosh Muppim and Hupim and Ard these are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob there were 14 persons in all the sons of Dan Hushim the sons of Naphtali Jaziel and Guni and Jazer, Jezer and Shelem sorry Shilam these are the sons of Bilha whom Laban gave to his daughter Rachel and she bore these to Jacob there were 7 persons in all all the persons belonging to jacob who came to egypt who came out of his loins excluding the wives of jacob's sons were sixty-six persons in all and the sons of joseph who were born to him in egypt were two all the persons of the house of jacob who came to egypt were seventy now he sent judah before him to joseph to point out the way before him to goshen and they came into the land of goshen and joseph harnessed his chariot and went up to goshen to meet his father israel As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now I can die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it will be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? Then you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth and and until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. In Genesis 47, I'm going to get some coffee real quick. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, my father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds, And all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and set them before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is heavy in the land of Canaan. So now please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Have your father and your brothers settle in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any excellent men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are hundred and thirty. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years that my father lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers, and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded, and Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land, because the famine was very heavy, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they, had, which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Then, then, then the money came to an end in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. So all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks, and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. Then that year came to an end, and they came to him the next year, and said to him, We will not hide from my lord that our money has come to an end, and the livestock are my lord's. There is nothing left for my lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed, that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph brought, bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh, For every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he moved them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they ate off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land and it will be at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and four fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones so they said you have kept us alive you have kept us alive let us find favor in the sight of my lord and we will be Pharaoh's slaves And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth, only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they took possession of property in it, and were fruitful and became very numerous. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years, So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were a hundred and forty-seven years. Then the days for Israel to die drew near, and he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh, and deal with me in loving kindness and truth. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but I will lie down with my fathers, and you will carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said swear to me so he swore to him then israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed all right now we're going to read from matthew 15 we're going to read verses 1 through 28. then some pharisees and scribes came to jesus from jerusalem and said why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread and he answered and said to them why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of god for the sake of your tradition For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you might benefit from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. And by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts, sorry, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commands of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides to the of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Now Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and goes into the sewer? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. And going away from there, Jesus withdrew into the district of Tyre and, Sid- uh, Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, From that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and were pleading with him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and was bowing down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. All right. And now moving on, let's see. Psalm 19. We're going to read Psalm 19. For the Choir Director, A Psalm of David. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them He has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber it rejoices as a strong man to run his course its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat the law of yahweh is perfect restoring the soul the testimony of yahweh is sure making wise the simple the precepts of yahweh are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of yahweh is pure enlightening the eyes the fear of yahweh is clean enduring forever the judgments of yahweh are true They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your slave from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression." Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. All right. And now Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 19. There we go. Do not enter the path of wicked men, and do not step into the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Stray from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they do evil, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. The way of the wicked is like thick darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day, start of the new week. Um, I would definitely continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God and, uh, God willing, I'll see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out with another Valley of vision prayer. This one is called fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly father, thou hast revealed to me myself as a mass of sin and thyself as a fullness of goodness with strength enough to succor me wisdom enough to guide me mercy enough to quicken me love enough to satisfy me. Thou hast shown me that because Thou art mine, I can live by Thy life, be strong in Thy strength, be guided by Thy wisdom, and so I can pitch my thoughts and heart in Thee. This is the exchange of wonderful love, for me to have Thee for myself, and for Thee to have me, and to give me Thyself. There is in Thee all fullness of the good I need, and the fullness of all grace to draw me to Thyself, who else could never have come." But having come, I must cleave to thee, be knit to thee, always seek thee. There is none all good as thou art. With thee I can live without other things, for thou art God all sufficient, and the glory, peace, rest, joy of the world is a creaturely perishing thing in, compassion, in comparison with thee. Help me to know that he who hopes for nothing but thee, and for all things only for thee, hopes truly." and that I must place all my happiness and holiness if I hope to be filled with all grace. Convince me that I can have no peace at death, nor hope that I should go to Christ unless I intend to do his will and have his fullness while I live. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. And again, God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a great day. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Monday, January 23rd episode. That's episode 145 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to jump in and try to um, continue on um, our study in John 4. This should wrap up our study in John 4. Um, And then God willing, tomorrow evening, we'll move into John chapter five. Um, So to get going on this, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Uh, The Valley of Vision prayer, we're going to open up with this more or this evening is called Repose. Repose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my faith is in thee. My expectation is from thee. My love goes out toward thee. I believe thee. Accept thy word. Acquiesce in thy will. Rely on thy promises. Trust thy providence. I bless thee that the court of conscience proves me to be thine. I do not need signs and wonders to believe, for thy word is sure truth. I have cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that present and future are in nail-pierced hands. Thou art so good, wise, just, holy, that no mistake is possible to thee. Thou art fountain and source of all law what thou commandest is mine to obey i yield to thy sovereignty all that i am and have do thou with me as thou wilt thou hast given me silence in my heart in place of murmurings and complaints keep my wishes from growing into willings my willings from becoming fault-finding with thy providences and have mercy on me if i sin and am rebellious help me to repent then take away my mourning and give me my mourning and give me music Remove my sackcloth and adorn me with beauty. Take away my sighs and fill my mouth with songs. And when I am restored and rest in thee, give me summer weather in my heart. Amen. What a perfect prayer for what we're going to be discussing today. Um, All right. Our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for January 23rd. The text is Song of Solomon 1.4. We will remember thy love more than wine. Jesus will not let his people forget his love. If all the love they had enjoyed should be, for- they have enjoyed should be forgotten, he will visit them with fresh love. Do you forget my cross, says he? I will cause you to remember it, for at my table I will manifest myself anew to you. Do you forget what I did for you in the council chamber of eternity? I will remind you of it, for you shall need a counselor and shall find me ready at your call. Mothers do not let their children forget them if the boy has gone to australia and does not write home his mother writes has john forgotten his mother then there comes back a sweet epistle which proves that the gentle reminder was not in vain so is it with jesus he says to us remember me and our response is we will remember thy love we will remember thy love and its matchless history it is ancient as the glory which thou hadst with the father before the world was we remember o jesus thine eternal love when thou didst become our surety, and espouse us as thy betrothed. We remember the love which suggested the sacrifice of thyself, the love which, until the fullness of time, mused over the sacrifice, and longed for the hour whereof in the volume of the book it was written of thee, Lo, I come. We remember thy love, O Jesus, as it was manifested to us in thy holy life, from the manger of Bethlehem to the garden of Gethsemane we track thee from the cradle to the grave. For every word and deed of thine was love, and we rejoice in thy love, which death did not exhaust, thy love which shone resplendent in thy resurrection. We remember that burning fire of love, which will never let thee hold thy peace until thy chosen ones be all safely housed, until Zion be glorified and Jerusalem settled on her everlasting foundations of light and love in heaven. All right. So, like I said, we're continuing on in our study of John chapter 4. We're going to wrap that up tonight um, like we had done before. So um, last evening, I told you this last section that we're dealing with um, kind of fits under the heading, The Messiah Heals a Galilean Boy. And we dealt it with a couple of different things. We, looked at un- we were looking at unbelief contemplated, unbelief confronted, and unbelief conquered. So we talked about unbelief being contemplated last evening, and we're going to look at unbelief being confronted and conquered this evening. But what I want to do is I'm first um, going to back up. We're going to read this entire section. So from verse 43 through verse 54. So let's read that first, and then we're going to dive in. And after the two days, he went from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself bore witness that a prophet has no honor in his own country, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Then he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was asking him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die." So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. And while he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was alive. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So like I said, last evening we saw Jesus contemplating unbelief. He had faced unbelief or a lack of true belief, um, already within Jerusalem. We saw that in John chapter two. And we see there at the end that he won't trust himself to them, that there were many believing, but it was a belief that, Oh, look at these, look at these cool, um, shiny miracles. How, how awesome is that? That's really, really cool. We believe this is some guy from God. This is some guy who has some amazing power. And so he's heading into Galilee And again, he sees there are a number of folks there that had seen what he had done in Jerusalem. You realize what he had done in Jerusalem there and the miracle that he had done there and and the things he had done and the, the flipping over of the tables and stuff like that were done during a feast period. So people from Galilee, so people in Israel would tend to go to Jerusalem for those feasts and then go home. So so that's how the news traveled. And that's how a lot of these people in Galilee had seen what had happened in Jerusalem and they were blown away by his miracles. But again, like he said there in John 2, at the, at the end of John 2, he didn't trust himself to them because they were not believing that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. They were ob- only believing that he could do the miracles. And, and you got to understand, we, we actually talked about it in men's group yesterday. You've, you've got to understand, if we don't believe in the Christ of the Bible, then we're dead. We're dead in our sins. We are dead and there is no recovery. Well, there is no recovery outside of the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit within us to regenerate us. Okay. We can't believe in a Christ we want to be. We have to believe in the Christ that was the Christ that is in the scriptures. We have to believe that he is, that he is Jesus, the Christ, he's fully man and he's fully God, that he is the Messiah, our savior, the son of God. That he is the 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 son part of the triune God. If we don't believe that, then we don't have a saving faith. And that's what he's been speaking of. That's what he's been dealing with. And that's the contemplation as he heads into Cana is the realization that these folks are not believing right. Um, and again, so like I said, in verse 45 talks about the Galileans received him having seen all the things. That's again, they've got to believe in him. They know, wow, this guy's got to be a prophet. He's got to be somebody of God. But they're not grasping, they're not hearing, no matter what he says, that he's the son of God. And again, like we've talked before and I've talked before, Jesus manifests his omniscience, that, that, that part of his deity, that part of that fully God that he is, the knowing of all men. He knows that he definitely would not have any honor in his hometown. Um, as we saw, what is it? Was it verse 44? 44 no, verse 45, for Jesus himself bore witness, or 44, for Jesus himself bore witness that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So he knows up in Galilee there, they've known him since he was a baby. Well, actually, he wasn't a baby when they went to Nazareth, actually, I think. And I might be wrong with this. So, you know, you're welcome to look and it really doesn't matter. But but he, he was a young, a young boy, a very young boy. I think he was around six years old when Joseph and Mary and he all moved to Nazareth. They'd come back from Egypt. They moved to Nazareth. Nazareth, And I think he was around six years old. I might be wrong, but he was somewhere in that range, probably three to seven or something like that when they moved there. So they've watched him grow up. They've watched him become a man. They've watched him become a carpenter along with his father um, to support the family. But they're, they're struggling to see him as the son of God because his father's Joseph. His father's Joseph. Of course, we know it's not. Because he was immaculately conceived, Mother Mary is his mother, but Joseph is not his father. Joseph took him in and raised him as his father. But there was no procreation between Joseph and Mary. But these people see that and see that, and here are his brothers, and here are his sisters, and they, they just struggle to grasp it. And I think I I quoted. I can't remember what gospel it was from. Where where no joke. It, it, there in Nazareth, he proclaimed. In Judah, or, or in uh, the synagogue there, um, um, he read a quote out of Isaiah that was a, that was a prophecy of himself, and he said, "Today this has been fulfilled in your sight." And they're like, "Huh?" You know, <laughs> they're not buying that. They don't believe that. Um, they're they're struggling with that. So this is what he's dealing with. So this was the, That was the unbelief contemplated that he did. So he's heading on. Into Galilee, and he, he goes, heads into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and he's going to be confronted. He's going to be confronted, but we're going to see him confront unbelief. We're going to see him confront unbelief. And like I said, this is kind of broke down into six kind of subsections. And we had dealt with the places um, last evening. So we're going to deal with the other five. Um, So within this this unbelief confronted, first we want to address the plea. Um, And I'm actually going to back up. So that starts in verse 47 but I want to back up into the end of 46. Um, The end of 46, so 46b. And there was a royal officer, or a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was asking him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. And But honestly, we need to look back. So verse 46, and, and as much as I love the LSB, I'm unhappy with them. And I didn't notice this before. I'm unhappy with them. So they start verse 46 with, then he came again to Cana of Galilee. Sorry, I moved away from the mic for a minute to grab my other Bible. My NASB verse 46 says, therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee. I'm sorry. I prefer the word therefore there. And of course, I've always said, when you see a therefore, what you got to do is figure out what the therefore is there for. And I'm not saying that to be cute. You really do. What the therefore does is it says, what is about to come up is in reference to what was before here. So he heads into Canaan of Galilee and he deals with this royal official's son in light of the unbelief that he's been contemplating. So the, he's going to be confronting this unbelief, belief in light of what we we've saw and we talked about last evening this contemplation of unbelief this unbelief that is going on within people you know again we keep seeing the word believe but it's not the same word and and it's not the same impetus within those sentences those sentences where it's there within that scripture like i said it's a belief that this guy is doing miracles but it is not a belief that he is the son of god that he is the christ the messiah so it's in that light that he heads into this. So again, as we head into this, where he starts dealing with this official's son, this is in light of what we talked on in through verses 43 through 45. And honestly, the Royal official here was an all probability in the surface of Herod Antipas. Some folks think this official was someone associated with some of the women that ended up following Jesus. But I don't see anything, and and I ran across that in commentaries, but I don't see anything that would actually back that up. I mean, it's totally a possibility, but I I would would, we have no evidence in the scripture of that. Um, I don't know, maybe Josephus speaks of it, but I doubt it. He didn't tend to record this kind of thing from all I know of him. Um, Of course, and if you don't know who Josephus is, he is an extra-biblical historian during this first century um, in Judea, um, and he was Jewish. So, um, but what we do see is that this official hiked 16 miles from Camer- Capernaum to Cana to beg Jesus to heal his son, and and if you ever listen to when when you read this, you talk about he went up to here, went down to here. They're talking an elevation. Cana is up in the hill in in the hill country. Capernaum is down on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So he hiked 15, 16 miles uphill to Cana to beg Jesus to heal his son. Please don't mistake this as the official all of a sudden becoming a disciple of Christ. Yeah, he's heard of the miracles of Jesus, either through comments from people who saw them or through seeing them themselves. As he, if he was in Jerusalem, we don't know. There, there's no evidence one way or another. But that's all that's driven him to come to Jesus. This guy is doing miracles. Maybe he can do a miracle for my son. And don't get me wrong. I know that if my son Or, my grandson by this point were at the point of death, as this official son was, I would do anything to get him healed. (laughs) However, (laughs) I I would not just randomly jump at options, but I would take the options most likely to be successful, which this official did. I mean, here's this guy doing miracles. Here is this guy doing amazing things. Here's this guy who is even in Cana, there up, up in Galilee, has done a miracle. I need, I, I need to go see this guy. If there's anybody that can solve this, because obviously, being a royal official, he's probably already done everything else that was available to him. And he would have had more things available to him than the average carpenter, the average shepherd, the average um, wheat grower, or whatever. He would have had more more options available to him. And I would imagine he's exhausted all of them and has been unable to heal his son. So here's kind of the last straw. Here's Jesus. Here's this guy doing miracles. So that's the plea. He comes and pleads to him. Again, verse 47, and was asking him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. But then we see the problem in verse 48. We see Jesus alliterated. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Jesus is lamenting the fact that people demand he perform miracles before believing in him. I mean, we, we, we see him deal with that with Thomas. Um, you know, and I brought that up last evening. Thomas, after the resurrection, you know, Jesus shows himself to the disciples, but Thomas isn't there. And so here are all of his brothers he's been walking with for three years. And they say he was here. And Thomas says, unless I see his hands and stick my fingers in and see his side and put my hand in, I'm not going to believe. So Jesus shows up again and he said, come here, Thomas, and do this. Of course, Thomas doesn't do it, but Thomas goes, my Lord and my King. I think that's what he said, my Lord and my King. And Jesus calls him out for it. He goes, you believe because you see? Blessed are those who believe and don't see. He's making real clear that being caught up on the miracles, being caught up on that, and that being the only reason you believe... That's not saving faith. That's not that's not what we're being called to. And don't get me wrong. He's responding to the plea of the official. But his response is to all of the Galileans who have received him because of the miracles, but not through a true saving faith like we saw back there. In verse 45 that I point out, the Galileans received him having seen all the things. They've seen the miracles. But they're not relating anyway. They're not taking in where he's saying, I am the Christ, the Son of God. I'm the Messiah, and all that He's showing, all that He is manifesting in public. Believe me, with what He's done, gone through Samaria and the village of Sychar, a good chunk of it has come to Christ. Don't think that. Don't think that news stayed in Samaria. As much as the Jews avoided the Samarians, the Samaritans. Believe me, that news got out. He's having a huge, huge impact, even down in Judea. Already more people had been going to he and his disciples to be baptized than were going to John. He's already having a huge impact. Yet still, they're caught up on the miracles, and that's the problem. But then we see the persistence. We see the persistence of the father. Verse 49, the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. The father continues to seek help for Jesus. And we need to note that in verse 47, the official is making a f- mistake due to his unbelief. He's got the, he has got—he seems to have this idea that Jesus needs to come and be near the boy to heal him, that he's got to be there. And he's also assuming that Jesus can only heal, not raise the dead. There's no cognizance. The prophecies were clear that all these Jews had access to, that the Messiah has the power to raise the dead, not just heal. But again, this man, this this official, is making clear that he's not grasping this, that this is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Please come and heal him before he dies, because if he dies, you can't do anything. That's really what he's saying. And, and, And it always makes me come back to it, it makes me think of, and, it, and it's always it's, many times I've read through it when I when I was more more immature in my faith, and when I was not saved, of course, read through this and was like, oh, that's a cute story, but I always tend to go back to the story of the centurion, who who had a servant that needed healing, and that servant showed such an understanding and a faith that he sends the message to Jesus that all Jesus has to do is say it is so, and it would be so. So I'm going to read that to you. But again, think of that in contrast to this royal official that, sir, you've got to come to him before he dies. So we're in Matthew 8, verses 5 through 13. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not good enough for you to come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This centurion knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was the Christ. He knew that he was the Messiah, even though he's a Roman centurion. He's not Jewish, but he knows. And that's what Jesus goes on to speak of is that many will come that are not Jews and will recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be sons of the living God. But that the sons of the kingdom, he's speaking of the Jews there, but there will be many Jews that are cast out because they're like this royal official was prior to his son being healed. Yeah, this this is a cool guy. That's a prophet. This is a guy doing doing miracles, and maybe he can heal my child. But there's zero grasp that this is the Christ, the Son of God. They're so focused on the miracles, they're not grasping the whole. It's it's like um, when those that when there's folks following Jesus, and he makes clear to them, you're following to get the bread that you've seen when I fed the five thousand or the four thousand. It was one or the other, that bread. But you need to be coming for the bread of life. They're not grasping it. They've got their heads so shoved in the dirt. They're so caught up in the material that they're not grasping this. And this is where this royal official is. Sir, come down before my child dies. But then we see the unbelief conquered. We see that unbelief conquered. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, go. Go. Your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. He started to have an impact here. Jesus is starting to have an impact. The Holy Spirit is starting to work in this man. Because, you know, he's gone from, sir, you've got to come before he dies. So you got to be there with me. To Jesus saying, go, your son lives. And the man believes enough to head back down. Now, again, like I said, he's about to take a, how long did I say it was? Sixteen mile trip back, with no other evidence that his son's okay, other than Jesus's word. But he believes, and when it says here in the Greek, he believed the man believed that what Jesus spoke was true, and started on his way. Jesus, Jesus doesn't do anything fa- fancy. There's no you know magic incantation, no anything else. N- nor does he follow off after the official as requested. He just says, "Go, your son lives." The official believes what Jesus says and heads off for Capernaum. As John MacArthur indicates, we see the official go from one level of disbelief, the one where you may believe in the miracles, but it's not a saving faith, to the level where you believe in the words of Christ. But it's still not a saving faith. He's believing in the words of Christ, but it's not a saving faith yet. But we see him head off home, doing as Jesus is directed. He's at least doing as Jesus is directed. So then we come to the payoff, verses 51 through 54. And while he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was alive. So we inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. So we see that physical restoration of the boy that is conquering that unbelief, that is hammering home that unbelief, and he's seeing not only is the boy better, which could have been attributed to naturally the boy started getting better, but he inquires of the slaves, and the slaves indicate that that changed, the fever left him, and he commenced getting better at the moment that Jesus said, go, your son lives. And he makes that tie together. And we saw the spiritual redemption of the household. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into, into Galilee. He has healed this young boy. He continues to manifest that he is the Christ, the son of God. He continues to show it. The fact is... You know, yeah, this royal official misunderstood, seeming to think you've got to heal him before he dies. And the fact is he has the power to raise the dead, as we see with Lazarus, and honestly, as we see with himself when he's raised from the dead after his crucifixion. But the fact is any of these miracles, get they've not had a prophet in over 400 years, and there was only a very few of the prophets that could actually do miraculous things. And here's two in succession John the Baptist and then Jesus. John the Baptist as the forerunner, and then Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And John didn't do any miracles. He preached the gospel, the first, last, the last of the real prophets and the first of the preachers of the gospel. But here is Jesus doing miracles. Here is Jesus satisfying prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, over a hundred prophecies, I think the number is, it may be even bigger than that, but I know it's over a hundred prophecies in the Old Testament all of which he meets correctly he satisfies correctly and part of that is the miracles he is doing and we still have unbelief but he's conquering it in the case of, the, of this royal official his, he and his whole family were brought to a saving faith what an amazing thing and at least this royal official showed something that we should say when jesus tells us go your son lives we need to go we don't just sit there and twiddle our thumbs and say okay we're about to go do it i know i've hammered that home but you and i are way too busy christians as a whole right now are way too busy sitting on their fundaments, being couch potatoes instead of being Christians. I don't want to stand before God on judgment and him open the book and go, hmm, another one of them couch potatoes. I'm still going to be saved, sure. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that questions the salvation, but it's like I've talked about before about the the crown. We we are all, there is a crown held for us. In heaven, and and I know the the text doesn't say this, but I've always said, you know, it talks about. and I can't. I think it's in Corinthians, First Corinthians. It talks about that we will be rewarded, um, that that our works, um, in gold, silver, precious gems, hay, stubble, and straw, or whatever, or wood, stubble, and straw, whatever, and they'll all be chested by the fire, and the fire, you know, is going to burn up. The wood stubble and straw, which would represent lax to no work for the kingdom of God, whereas obviously the gold, gold, silver, and jewels would indicate would indicate heavy work for the kingdom of God, a heavy outflow of our saving faith. And so I made the I made the reference. What if our crowns reflected that? Do we want to be the one getting handed a Burger King crown to throw at the feet of Christ because it's really His? Or do we want it to be the one of gold and jewels and silver that we placed there, showing him that we loved him so much that we did all we could to be obedient? Again, at least this royal official was obedient. But again, the massive unbelief. And, and you know, we sit there and look at it and go, oh, yeah, that massive unbelief is what you and I live in every day. All around us are folks who lack belief, who choose To not believe. People who the gospel have been handed to over and over and over. And they choose to not believe. And honestly, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, they can do no other. But we have to keep bringing it to them. We have to love them enough. To bring the gospel to them repeatedly. All right let's go ahead and we're going to close out in prayer. Uh, We're going to close like we usually do on Mondays with the second day evening prayer. It's called bounty. Thou great and only potentate thou hast made summer and winter day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that confronts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits, and the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life, and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation, and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises, that are our hope. Provide us for every exigency, and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. And like I said, believing in the wrong Christ is unbelief. We don't get to believe in the Christ we want it to be. We don't get to believe in the God we want him to be. We have to believe in the Christ of the scripture. That was the problem in our verses today. People were not believing in the Christ of the scriptures. Now, again, in the case, they didn't have the scriptures, but they had their prophecies, which pointed at who Christ was. Not only the man, but his attributes. And they chose to believe otherwise. If we choose to believe otherwise, we are as dead in sin as they are. But I wouldn't have that for you. So please, please put down your pride. And in humility, read in the scriptures about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. All right. I hope you have a wonderful evening. I hope our time together, I'm thankful that you spent this time together with me today. I hope our time together, um, has been edifying for you and I hope you have a wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a great night. God bless.